Do you enjoy listening to On the Ear but wish you could earn ASHA CEUs for it? Start today. SpeechTherapyPD.com has over 175 hours of audio courses on demand with an average of 19 new audio courses released each month. And here's the best part. Each episode earns you ASHA continuing ed credits. Oh, no, wait. This is the best part. As a listener of On the Ear, you can receive $20 off an annual subscription when you use code EAR21. Just head to SpeechTherapyPD.com to sign up and use code EAR21, E-A-R-2-1, for $20 off your annual subscription. You're listening to On the Ear, an audiology podcast sponsored by SpeechTherapyPD.com. I'm your host, Dr. Dakota Sharp, AUDCCCA, audiologist, clinical professor, and lifelong learner. While I primarily work with pediatric cochlear implants and hearing aids, I am absolutely intrigued by the many areas of audiology and communication in general. This podcast aims to explore the science of hearing, balance, and communication with a variety of experts in hopes of equipping you to better serve your patients, colleagues, and students. So let's go. We are live and on the ear, brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Productivity. It's a word that might send shivers down your spine, or maybe you've never even heard it in the context of audiology. Measuring the output of clinicians can be touchy, but we all want to make sure we're contributing our equal share. Historically, though, there hasn't been much guidance on measuring productivity in audiology. So how can we measure this most effectively and equitably? Today's guest is going to help us tackle this sometimes scary subject with humor and maybe a little bit of fun. Dr. Derek Stiles has been the director of the audiology program at Boston Children's Hospital for eight years, managing a team of 35 audiologists across seven locations in their quest to provide the best hearing health care to patients from New England and beyond. Uh, Dr. Stiles graduated with his master's in audiology from San Diego State University and worked as a pediatric audiologist before pursuing his PhD at the University of Iowa. Just a couple of financial disclosures. I'm the host of On the Ear and receive compensation from SpeechTherapyPD.com, and Dr. Stiles received compensation for his contributions to today's presentation. Dr. Stiles' work in pediatric amplification has made him a hero of mine, and I'm so honored to have him as a guest of On the Ear. Derek, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for that wonderful introduction. I'm humbled. (laughs) It's honestly, I was hoping to have you on here in some capacity. I honestly didn't ever think, you know, one day having you on would be about productivity. But I read a great article that you, I I guess you'd call it an article, right? 20Q with Gus Mueller. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have had three different listeners reach out to me to say, hey, are you ever going to talk about productivity? Our work is asking questions about it and we'd love some guidance. And I was like, who do I even ask about this, right? Like who's leading the charge? And your article kind of shed some light on that. And I think it was really helpful to read your thought process and breaking it down. So I'm really excited to talk about that. Yeah, it's actually kind of fun to talk about. And and like you said, in your introduction, it is it, it does send shivers down some people's uh, spines. <laughs> but I think it's really interesting once you kind of know what it is. It's definitely not what I would have expected to be talking about either when I graduated, you know, a while back, but it was out of necessity that I started learning this stuff. So yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. 
Cool. Well, before we even jump into that, a lot of people are also always asking me to have people to, on who are in interesting roles in audiology, right? Like kind of talking about how they got to where they are in their career. And you've been in multiple, you know, well-established, well-regarded centers across the country. Now you're at Boston Children's Hospital, obviously a leader in pediatric audiology care. Would you mind just giving us like a brief synopsis of your career as an audiologist and beyond? My journey, I've seen it all and done it all. (laughs) So I didn't even really know what audiology was when I graduated from my, my undergraduate many, many moons ago. I was working in a hospital, so so I've always worked for healthcare in general, but I was just doing like data entry work for a neonatology department, you know, and I was kind of like, I don't know what I want to do. So I actually found audiology when I was perusing the Australian embassy website because I was thinking, oh, it'd be so cool to get like a green card and work in Australia or something like that. And they're like, audiologists are in demand. We need audiologists. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. So that's that's actually how I <laughs> fell into audiology. And I started taking some some intro courses at San Diego State. And I just, I found it really so like interesting. It completely suited my personality. And so I finished my master's. And, you know, back then that was before the AUD. So we had to do a fellowship year. And I did that at Mass Sinear in Boston, which was super intense, you know. And it was, you know, mostly adults, some kids. But after I finished my fellowship, I was interested in going back to San Diego. And I was looking for a job in a hospital because that was just an environment that I was really, you know, comfortable in. And the only hospital position that was open at the time was at the children's hospital there. And I was like, I, you know, I'm not really sure if I'm a pediatric audiologist, but you know, that's what's open. That's what's available. And again, it was one of those things where, you know, I just kind of took the leap of faith and, and it ended up really, you know, being a lot of fun and really interesting, you know, and, and anybody who's a pediatric audiologist will tell you it's, it's, it's different than being an adult audiologist in good and bad ways, but it's certainly, you know, was interesting. And as you know, like this, this was around the time where the AUD was really being introduced. And so a lot of my colleagues were enrolling in programs. They had already had their master's degree, but were enrolling in programs to bump up to an AUD. And I was kind of torn about doing that. I'm like, "Mm, should I, you know, do the clinical doctorate or should I get a research doctorate? And I thought, well, you know what, let me apply to University of Iowa because that was the top, you know, program and just see if they accept me, you know, because I didn't know. And I thought, well, if they accept me, great, I'll do the PhD. And if they don't, I'll, I'll get an AUD like everybody else was doing. And they accepted me. And so that's how I met Ruth Bentler, who was a fabulous advisor got to work a lot with hearing aids and pediatric language outcomes. I got a second advisor, Carla McGregor, who does children's language. So it was this really cool blend of, you know, hearing loss and language in my dissertation study. So it was hard to live in Iowa for that long, but it was a lot of fun too. (laughs) I made lots of great friends. And then I finished, I defended my dissertation. And so, you know, I was looking for an academic job and I accepted a position at Rush University in Chicago. Again, a really great group of people to work with. It was fun teaching at medical center kind of AUD program, you know, again, was very hospital based and and right in my comfort zone, but I didn't love living in Chicago. 
And at that point, one of my friends that I had made when I was a fellow at Mass Ioneer contacted me and she said, you know, she had was now working at Boston Children's Hospital. And she said, you know, we've got this position open for a new director. Would you be interested in applying for it? I said, oh, well, I love Boston. I missed Boston. And I thought, yeah, why not? And that's how I ended up there. I guess the rest is is history there now. So yeah, that was kind of a new foray, foray for me to be in a director position. I had to learn a lot about, you know, administration and management and things like that. And that's where I started looking for information about productivity metrics and and how to measure that, particularly because, you know, I would have, you know, some audiologists come to me who are saying, you know, like, it doesn't seem fair that this audiologist is, you know, working this much, but I have to work that much. And, you know, making sure that things were, you know, actually fair across the fairly large staff at at Boston Children's. We have about 35 audiologists. Okay. That was a perfect segue. I hate to break up a perfect segue, but at no point did you tell me when you ended up in Australia. What happened there? What was the... (laughs) I never did. No. I know. That is the heartbreak of my life. (laughs) Well, not necessarily. You know what, what was funny is so... A friend of mine, she was she graduated the year ahead of me from San Diego State, and she got hired at National Acoustics Laboratory in Australia. Oh you my god! And they moved her out there and everything. And I'm like, oh, she took my position. <laughs> Damn it. Well, hey, I think it still worked out okay. I think you're doing just fine, and that's that's a really interesting trajectory. And I think that's a helpful reminder. I think when I engage with students a lot on uh, Instagram through the podcast. There's this like question of like, I don't know if I want to do pediatrics. Like, I don't know that I'm like a kid's person. And sometimes you don't know until you're kind of thrown into the ring. And then you're like, okay, wait, maybe I can float here. This is pretty fun. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's true. You know, I think there's also some people who think they're kid people who actually aren't. (laughs) (laughs) That is, I have definitely seen that too. Unfortunately, I've definitely seen that too. Okay, well, hold on. Let's swing it back to your perfect segue then for you transition into this director role. You had to take on new responsibilities. There were new challenges in that. And one of the things that popped up was kind of the equity in work balance, if you will. So was your first thought looking at productivity? How did you like first approach this problem of like, okay, people are unhappy with the equality of of the share of work here? It was mostly just trying to figure out what people were, were doing. And it was hard to you know, gauge initially, because so at the time we had, you know, six satellites. So no, actually, at that time, we had five satellites. Now we now we're up to seven. But at that time, we had five satellites. But you know, they were, you know, from the southern edge of Massachusetts to the northern edge of Massachusetts. So we've got these satellites that are, you know, kind of functioning independently way out in their areas. And then we also had a, well, we still have, but it's kind of set up a little differently now, but we had a cochlear implant program that ran kind of independently from the diagnostic program. And so, you know, there's questions like, well, what are the cochlear implant audiologists doing? And are they getting kind of like a 
you know, a cushy ride compared to the audiologists who are working to support the ear, nose, and throat physicians and are like hammering out all these, you know, audiograms all day long. And then are the people in the satellites, who knows what they're doing, right? So, you know, at that point, it really just took a lot of observation and talking to the people who were kind of the managers in each of those satellites and in each of those different you know, diagnostic versus CI programs to just get a sense of what was a typical work week like, how that time was being spent, you know, how much time was being spent with documentation, you know, what did people do if there was a no-show, stuff like that. And really, I think what helped was it actually, you know, caused us to kind of refine our clinical practices. So over the first few years that I was, you know, became the director at Boston Children's, all of us teamed up and were worked on on creating a, a corpus of clinical practice guidelines so that we could at least, you know, say that, okay, you know, if a patient goes to say, our Peabody satellite in the north and gets tested or goes to our, you know, Weymouth satellite in the south and gets tested. It's going to be the same thing. It's going to be the same or close to the same thing that the audiologist should arrive at the same diagnosis for this patient. And realistically, use the same amount of time and resources. Mm -hmm. Okay. Exactly, exactly. So trying to make sure that everybody had kind of a similar understanding of, you know, what sort of is involved in this kind of visit type versus, you know, this kind of visit type. And and it's so complicated. Sometimes I'm like, geez, I don't even know where to begin because, you know, (laughs) everything kind of is so, you know, related to other things. It's like this big spider web of factors that you know you can pluck one string on the spider web and and you know it'll pull on different parts of the other yeah. you know parts of the the clinical structure so we have you know an electronic scheduling system called epic i'm sure a lot of people who work in hospitals are familiar with epic and so within that we have a lot of visit types right so there's like you know, a standard hearing test visit type or an assisted visit type or a hearing aid fitting visit type, you know, just all these different visit types. And so, you know, making sure that the time allotted for those visit types matches the amount of work that the audiologist would be doing during that, you know, appointment, right? So it's kind of, it was a lot of tweaking, you know, even still, sometimes we we tweak it depending on on what you know what changes in our clinical practice. But having the scheduling system work to kind of mirror the actual physical work that we're doing, you know that makes sense. And then what happens is, if say a two-hour ABR appointment cancels, you know and we've got a two-hour block in the schedule, you know, that can be scheduled with other visit types that add up to two hours that is essentially kind of like the same amount of work or effort on the the audiologist's side. Gotcha, gotcha. So like, especially, I guess, looking at the different visit types is kind of the place that you start with this kind of a thing. 
you know, was there any guidance? Like, do any of the professional organizations have, I mean, I probably could have looked into this, but as somebody who did a lot of work on it already, I'm going to lean on you here. Like, do any of the professional organizations have guidance on productivity in the workplace? I mean, I feel like this is kind of a critical thing, especially in the, with how the pandemic has kind of impacted healthcare and, you know, it was really helpful to have actually started this before the pandemic, because then it really kind of allowed us to, you know, know how the pandemic affected us, if you will. We had a baseline. Oh, wow. Yeah. But no, there wasn't any kind of like instruction manual for this. And, you know, coincidentally enough, Wendy Stewerwald, who at the time was the audiology director at Cincinnati Children's, she reached out to me and to Joy Peterson, who was the audiology director at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, CHOP, saying, you know, she was dealing with trying to figure out clinical productivity. And, you know, did we have any ideas about it? And so we ended up kind of, you know, creating our own little three-person working group to try and figure out you know, how productivity, excuse me, productivity could be measured across our three audiology clinics, you know, hospital-based audiology clinics. And that was super helpful because, you know, we could see, you know, what were the things that were consistent at every hospital that we could then, you know, make comparisons. You know, we had thought, well, maybe like visit types, you know, could be something that we could use, but each hospital had its own, you know, version of the visit types. Yeah, I can attest to that. Everywhere I've ever worked has completely different, you know, length of time for the visit and what the visit is called and what's expected in that kind of a visit. You know, each each place has been completely different. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so we kind of couldn't, you know, rely on that as a way to compare productivity. Like if you, you know, you did this many ABRs, but your ABRs are considered a three hour visit and our ABRs are considered a two hour visit. Yeah. You know, we could do more than you. So we would, you know, maybe we'd be more productive, right? What about like a CPT code? I mean, those are, you know, somewhat standardized, right? That is what we ended up going to was CPT codes, because that was the one thing that was universal is that we were all billing the same codes, you know, for the same procedures. A tympanometry CPT code means you did tympanometry, right? Yeah. <laughs> so we could use those. And so we kind of, you know, work together to assign value to those codes. So like a, you know, tympanometry code would be worth like 15 minutes of time, say. So that's what we kind of knocked out. And it worked really well for the diagnostic codes. It got really messy when we started going into things like hearing aid codes, because, you know, it's sort of what things are sort of bundled into the dispensing fee. You know, some hospitals might kind of, you know, include everything in the cost of the hearing aid some hospitals like you know unbundle things in different ways and it was really unclear and even even still there's there's not like great you know code cpt codes for what we're actually doing 
for hearing aid, you know, program. There's not like programming code per se, or, you know, there's yeah. like... And I find like even in each, you know, the reimbursement for that is going to be so different. So, I mean, I don't know if that ever factored in. I guess we can get to that later, like factored into, yeah. you know, how much per code per time, you know, I don't, I don't know how that plays into it, but certainly, yeah. And in different states that I've worked in, what code you would utilize is kind of based on what was recognized by that state's system, you know? Right. I mean, it, yeah. so yeah, it, it can vary so much. It can be hard. I get it with the hearing aid code because again, that can be like a really high reimbursement for a hearing aid fitting, but the time spent on it is very different compared to something that takes a lot more time. Yeah, there's like a code called hearing aid check. And it's like, well, what is that? <laughs> what, yeah, how much checking do you have to do to, to yeah. be able to build that code? You know, it's kind oh of, my goodness. It's kind of vague. So that's part's tough. It would be nice if, you know, ASHA or AAA or whoever has the ear of the CMS who, who makes these codes could get some better, I don't know, better definition there. But, you know, you work in the system that you're in. Yeah, exactly. So what was the result then? I mean, were CPT codes, I mean, did you have to line the CPT codes up with, you know, the length of like with your appointment durations to account for that? Because I guess if you have a 30 minute appointment slot for a 15 minute, you know, CPT code and another person has a 20 minute appointment slot for a 15, like does that kind of thing, you know, factor in if there's differences or was relying on the CPT codes as kind of the baseline for this, the way that y'all went? Well, it can. And this is the thing about measuring productivity is that you can, you know, apply it in a lot of different ways. And the sort of your goal of measuring it is going to determine like how you apply it. So in terms of kind of like, you know, developing a productivity benchmark for our pediatric hospitals that we could all like agree on and like compare ourselves against, then yes, definitely what you described is, you know, if I have shorter visit types, which allow me to see more patients in a day and bill more CPT codes, you know, that's going to make me more productive on sure. that end. Sure. But it could also make my staff less satisfied, sure, right? Yeah. Feel, feel overworked, right? So just because you have, you know, more productivity doesn't necessarily mean that your clinic is, is healthy, healthier or a good place to work, you know? So there is that balance. So actually, that brings me to another question. So we talked about how productivity can be kind of touchy. And, you know, it depends on the setting, right? So I'm sure in some settings, people don't even really discuss productivity. And then in, I think in bigger healthcare settings, it's way more discussed. So I'm curious, as you were examining this, was it a secret? Did you tell all the audiologists that y'all were looking at these things? Like, how did you approach that conversation? Well, I don't really remember so much. I think most of it, it was I was doing behind behind the scenes, right? Because it was all just, you know, analysis. But, you know, where the audiologists were more aware of or seeing things like, oh, this visit type is used to be this length and now this visit type is this length, you know, or that would probably would be the most of it. And then also having the clinical practice guidelines to kind of guide them into what kind of, you know, 
assessments were supposed to take place during the visit. Just make sure everyone's on the same page. That yeah. makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. So I guess you kind of have to just, you know, analyze it for a while. And then once you had some concrete information, do you like, how do you go about communicating this? You know, because I'm sure everybody would want to have positive productivity. You know, you want to look like you're contributing and doing everything you can. I mean, this is more just like a, I guess, like a leadership question, right? Like, how do you take these kind of challenging conversations to your employees, supervisees, I don't know, however you define that uh, dynamic? Yeah. Well, so what we did is we set basically a, you know, productivity standard in terms of how the audiologist schedules were designed. So we said, depending on your level in the career ladder, you know, you will either have 75% of your schedule blocked for patient care or 70% of your schedule blocked for patient care. But basically, everybody's going to have the same amount of time in the schedule blocked for patient care. And that, you know, was our way of setting the same equitable productivity standards for all the audiologists. How did y'all land on 70 or 75? Was there anything that went into that metric specifically? You know, a lot of it was just talking to other hospitals and seeing, you know, kind of what was typical and really, you know, this comes up from time to time and I see surveys of it from time to time across a lot of the different kind of rehab allied health fields as you know, like how are you building your schedules for productivity? And in general, I would say the, you know, sort of hospital standard on average is that 65% of the sort of clinic time should be devoted to patient-facing service. And so to get to that 65%, knowing that you're going to have a certain number of cancellations and a certain number of no-shows, you actually build the schedule, you know, to have more than 65% to get you to that 65% at the end of the day. Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes sense. So yeah, so that's where that came from. Sorry to kind of take us off topic again, but you made me think of another question I had when it comes to kind of, you know, in another hospital setting I was at before, there was a really close connection for everybody was kind of under the wing of outpatient rehab, right? So Mm -hmm. I'm curious in your development of these, I don't know if you'd call them productivity guidelines or just kind of maybe standards for your hospital. Did you interact at all with other you know, outpatient rehab groups like speech or OT or PT, were you looking at any of their standards for this or are like the billing codes and the appointment times are like, are they just so different that it wasn't worth? At that time, I was just really relying on, you know, comparing our audiology to other hospitals, audiology groups, and not so much other departments within our hospital. The way Boston Children's is set up, OT and PT are in a different division than speech and audiology. So we're kind of run independently. But, you know, I do have some conversations with our director over there, too. 
And, you know, it's coming up again because now I'm in a position as I've been promoted. So where I actually am director of audiology and speech language pathology. Oh, cool. And so we're reviewing these same questions again as it relates to, you know, speech language pathology. So that's interesting. There's actually a lot of SLPs who listen to this podcast. So I'm sure they'd be interested. Is there anything that you can share so far that's, you know, been kind of interesting in your breakdown of that? Well, so I would say it's definitely a different challenge in a couple ways. One is that, you know, audiology has these CPT codes that are very tied to all the different kinds of assessments that are run, right? There's a tympanometry code and an autoacoustic emissions code and like four different ABR codes. And just, you know, you can really like do a lot of defining, discrete defining of productivity based on the CPT code. Speech language pathology has a lot fewer codes. And so it makes it a little bit different trying to be so, you know, I don't know, being able to say that a single CPT code is worth the same amount of time if it's used by somebody working with, you know, one population of kids versus another population. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Because the code kind of encapsulates a lot of different services, you know, so what you did with that time, I guess, could be different. Right. Exactly. So is the CPT code not the best way to establish the metric or what are you kind of leaning towards with that? You know, I don't know. We're still kind of at the beginning. I think I probably need help. So if anybody out there has, <laughs> has, has figured this out for speech, please contact me because I'd love to know more what other places are doing. We're just in the process of revising our career ladder. And so, you know, like I mentioned for audiology, we have, depending on your level, different expectations for productivity and what's templated into your schedule, you know. So as we define this new career ladder for speech-language pathology, we're actually going to be building our definitions of, you know, what's considered the right level of productivity or patient-facing care for speech. And I guess I want to say, you know, when I say productivity, I know it sounds like you're just trying to squeeze, you know, every oh, last sure, bit of sure. work out of us. And it's, it's really not that. It's really just a way to make sure that we're at the right level of care. We're at that balance, right? So, you know, what I'm saying is that, you know, I want to make sure that we are at the right level of patient access and patient care that can meet the needs of the most patients without overwhelming the providers who are giving that care. So that's how I mean it. That's a great point. And actually, I wanted to ask you about that too. So I feel like so far we talked more about how you guys started this project and how you looked at it on an individual basis, right? Like, you know, whether it was appointment times or moving into CPT codes, but how are you using these metrics more like as a whole department or like looking at global productivity for all of you? Is it like on a year to year basis or month to month? Like, how do you guys utilize this information that you've gathered for your whole department? Yeah, that's a good question. So, we have a, you know, sort of warehouse data analysis system at Boston Children's where we can create dashboards that display 
you know, different kinds of graphs and key performance indicators and things like that based on, you know, what's happening in the hospital. So I developed a series of dashboards to, you know, depict productivity in a few different ways. And mostly I look at that on a month-to-month basis. So one metric that I look at is what I call clinic fill. So basically, we know we have, say, for a clinic, you know, for a number of providers, 70% of the hours worked at that clinic are, you know, designated for patient care, right? So that's kind of like the maximum number of patients we would expect to see would be that, you know, 70% of the total labor that is in that clinic. And then however many patients end up showing up and being seen, you know, that it might be 100% of that 70%, it might be less than that. Like I say, we were kind of expecting it to be around, you know, 65% of the total labor that's spent in that period of time. So that was interesting to see. And what we saw was that for the most part, most of our satellites were functioning at that level, you know, and then we had one satellite that was like higher, you know, than it should have been. And it was kind of a concern, you know, because it was like, why are you guys kind of over? And that satellite had so much pressure from the ear, nose, and throat physicians to keep like adding on and seeing all these extra patients that they were taking on that it was kind of pushing them above, you know, the standard that we sort of wanted. What a helpful piece of data to take to the person pushing that and being like, look, comparatively to all of these other centers, they're overdoing it. Like you have the data to back that up. Yeah. Yeah. Because y'all have that productivity metric. Yeah. And we were able to use that to justify, you know, hiring another audiologist for that. That's awesome. Place. Yeah. So that in that sense, it's really useful data because it can really tell a story. So can you break down a little bit? This is a concept I'm not as familiar with, but I know... Some centers will use CPT codes and then relate those to like an RVU or a WRVU kind of a, you know, mm-hmm. metric. Is that something that y'all utilize for this where you kind of turn the CPT code into, I mean, I guess, yeah, into a certain number of hours and. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's exactly right. So, you know, CPTs, they have RVUs, relative value units, like assigned to them by the CMS, you know, which I'm forgetting what CMS stands for, but it's something medical service. But actually, they're the people who basically are in charge of creating and defining the CPT codes. So they definitely have audiologists there who have done an ABR on a screaming three-month-old who won't go to sleep and a three-year-old who won't let you put the temp in their ear. They definitely have those audiologists working there, right? So they know. They know exactly. They're so (laughs) on top of it. No, no. Those RVUs are basically, you know, they're not very representative of reality, I'll say. I had a feeling. Yeah, but... (laughs) They're representative of the reimbursement you're going to get from the 
<laughs> from the Medicare if you bill that code. So that's what they tie into is actually the dollars reimbursed. But in terms of actual real life, you know, labor and work involved in a procedure, they're not great. So yeah, so that's exactly what Joy and Wendy, when we were working on that project, we we basically created our own, you know, RVUs for these codes. So we basically, so for example, we said, you know, a tympanogram is worth 15 minutes. We just broke it down into minutes in 15 minute increments. So an ABR is worth like two hours or eight units. A hearing like pure tone thresholds was worth 30 minutes or two units. So like that. And so that way we could basically, you know, count up all the CPT codes that were billed over a certain period of time and find out how much work did we do, you know, over that period of time. Yeah, that's a great idea. But did you run into the same issue with hearing aids that we kind of talked about? How did y'all, you know, address that? We ignored it. <laughs> <laughs> Always a good solution. We couldn't solve it. Yeah, I think it's a good point. I don't know how you do. Yeah, we would have to basically decide to bill exactly the same way for the services that we were providing in the hearing aid services. So, you know, it becomes limited sometimes trying to really make these cross-hospital comparisons. I think, you know, if you know what you're doing in your own clinic and you assign your own values to it for within your own clinic, then it's a little bit more, you know, accurate, I guess, or a better representation of what's really happening in your clinic. And if you're worried about Anybody who has concerns that, you know, one audiologist in your department is working harder than another audiologist in your department, you can at least, you know, look at it and have a more accurate picture within your clinic. But it becomes less accurate if you're saying, you know, are the audiologists at, you know, Children's Hospital Philadelphia working harder than the audiologists at Boston Children's Hospital? Yeah, you know, it gets hard. You get a sense, but... You know, it's some things, especially when it gets to things like hearing aids, you know, it's harder to really say. Yeah. I feel like working in a healthcare setting, it's tricky, right, to think of it as like a, I mean, I'm sure that's not even how you guys approach this, but like a working harder perspective, right? Because, you know, my schedule's the schedule. I'm not calling patients and scheduling. They'll no show, you know, a lot of it kind of sometimes feels out of the control of the clinician. Right. Mm -hmm. So you hate for it to reflect on you that, I mean, I had, you know, somebody no showed yesterday. They just didn't call. They didn't respond. And so that's a gap that's going to look bad on my productivity. So how do you all factor for, I mean, I guess no shows, especially in pediatrics. I don't know if we're going to, we need to have some studies done on no shows (laughs) in pediatrics. As somebody, I mean, I work with cochlear implants mostly. So we have longer appointment times. And so a no show, I mean, it hurts everybody, including the patient, you know, so I'm just curious how you factor in things that are kind of out of the control of the person, right? And how does that play into productivity, if at all? Well, you know, I think if you're starting to look at it that closely, you're verging into like micromanagement territory. And I think that, you know, it's probably not really a good thing to be 
doing. You know, I think what you're really looking for is trends over time. So if you see consistently, like month after month after month, one audiologist is, you know, producing less or seeing fewer patients than, you know, all the other audiologists, that's when you want to go take the deeper dive and say, okay, what's going on? Gotcha, gotcha, Right. But if you see a blip in June and then it goes back, then, you know, you're probably, you know, it could have been just, like you say, a series of no-shows and just a streak of bad luck. And then it came back to normal. But if it's like consistent, 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 then, you know, you need to look into it. And sometimes it's just the way their template is built in the schedule, you know, there might just be some weird glitch in it that you need to fix or you need to say, you know, we need to change your schedule because your four o'clock Tuesday appointment never gets booked. So where can we put that, you know, time to put it in a place where actually patients will come or something like utilized. That. Yeah, no, I, I definitely see how that can impact the bigger picture. So in that vein, then I mean, that's I think you've kind of answered this question, but maybe you have something else to add to it. This kind of information, how is it best utilized? Once a program is kind of up and running, okay, we're gonna, you know, look at productivity, we're gonna either use CPT codes or the kind of the modified CPT RVU system that you guys have come up with, or maybe they make their own. What is the best way to utilize this information that benefits everybody? I think it's best utilized to know, like, what is your baseline? So if you actually have, you know, never measured productivity before or accounted for the work people are doing, to just do it so you have a baseline and have like, you know what the current level of operations are. And then when you have a baseline, then you can discover opportunities. You know, it will lead to questions like, you know, how come this satellite is performing differently than all the other satellites? You know, so you get these questions and then you can, you know, implement different kinds of changes in protocol or policies or things like that, and then see if that has an effect. And then, you know, as you measure it, you get to really understand more what's happening in the clinic. And and I'll give you an example of like, that was really useful during COVID and kind of after COVID or after COVID started for us, because, you know, our hospital primarily just looks at the number of patients that are coming through the door to determine productivity, right? But that only makes sense if there's really a one-to-one of the assessment type you're doing and the patient that you're seeing, right? But as you mentioned, you know, cochlear implants have a much longer visit time. So a cochlear implant audiologist is never going to have the same volume as somebody doing diagnostics, right? So, you know, when COVID came, you know, we immediately had a decrease in volume. And then, you know, over the next year, our audiology volume, you know, started to improve again, but we weren't seeing as many patient referrals from ear, nose, and throat, right? So we had this year basically where no kids got ear infections. 
And so, <laughs> and I'm sure that's what happened. Well, I mean, actually, I guess it, it probably was down if people were at home and yeah, it was down, and and everybody was wearing masks and everything. So there was just this real decrease in in you know ear infections and referrals from ear, nose, and throat. So what ended up happening for us is our ABR volume proportionally, you know, spiked compared to our other services as they had been in the past. And because ABRs are two-hour visits, even though our schedules were technically full again, the number of patients we were seeing was less than it was before. And so, you know, the hospital's like, oh, it looks like your volume just hasn't come back yet. And I said, well, if if you're just counting patients, that's true. But if you actually you know, look at the time that's spent, you know, based on our productivity metrics, you'll see that we are actually, you know, have recovered. It's just that the type of patient that we're seeing has changed. And so it makes that look different. So, you know, it's useful to be able to talk about, I guess, productivity, you know, in lots of different ways and to really know what's happening in your clinic from lots of different angles so that, you know, when questions arise, you can answer the question intelligently and not just kind of say like, I don't know why our volume is lower, (laughs) you know? Well, our volume is lower because we're seeing longer visits. Yeah. Wow. That is a really interesting insight to come out of that. I think that's awesome that you had the before and after to be able to see that difference. Because I think you're right. A lot of people just scratch their heads and say, well, it's just the pandemic. That's why our volumes are lower. But <laughs> no, in reality, you were still having a lot of patient times. So that's that's a great point. That might answer this question. Maybe it doesn't. In this project, which I guess has been ongoing for multiple years in the way, like, and I guess it'll probably continue to change too. What do you think has been the biggest thing you've learned so far that your team has kind of taken from this process? That is a hard question to answer. I guess I would say that it's really, you know, a tool. Like, I think that's what I would take away from it is that it's not like the one thing, you know, that answers, you know, what's happening in a clinic, I guess, if you will. It's like, it's just a tool. It's just you know, a number, if you will, it's just some graphs on, on a page and it's not something that you need to be, you know, analyzing constantly. I guess that would be my takeaway. Kind of back to that micromanaging perspective. Yeah. I like, I think in the beginning and when I was building these dashboards, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, like this is going to be like, this is going to explain it all. (laughs) I'll I'll be able to crack the code. Before you described it as like a spider web. Now I'm picturing like a conspiracy theory board with the the (laughs) thumbtacks and the string and it's all connected. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily work like that. But what I found now is that, you know, instead of like looking at the productivity and maybe this is just a natural evolution that just has to occur for everybody is that instead if you know an issue arises or a question arises then i go to look at the productivity so 
I guess it can kind of go in both ways. So you can like look at the productivity data to look for issues and see if there's anything that you need to fix, you know, or if you feel like, okay, everything's pretty stable, you know, you can kind of set it aside and then something weird comes up, you know, related to patient access or billing or something like that, then you can go to it and say, okay, let me see if this tool can help me answer the question at hand. So I, I think that's, you know, would be sort of my takeaway is that it's good to measure and it's good to understand, but you don't need to, you know, constantly measure or overinterpret the information that you're you're actually measuring with the with the tool. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a really a really great insight because I can see, you know, this power being in the wrong hands, <laughs> being very micromanagey, <laughs> and yeah, that could definitely uh, rub some people the wrong way. And I do think that's why this word can kind of have a negative response for people, is if they've had that kind of a boss who's just like your productivity is blah blah blah, and you you know what I mean. Nobody wants to work in that kind of environment or be worried that everything is boiled down to a number because then that makes patience just a number too. You're just trying to get to the next one. Yeah, yeah. So this is kind of taking all of this and then putting it into the more practical application that you've used for it. So, you know, like let's say, for example, you had a satellite office or you had a a place where, okay, we saw something bubble up. There was a productivity issue. It was down somewhere. You, You mentioned one where it was up somewhere and how that came into play. I think that was a really good example. What have been the most common, maybe it's reasons or like what was the situation where it was down and how you kind of approached that, what your team did to address that kind of a thing? You know, so in the cases where it's been down, it's almost always been an issue with the way the schedule was built. So this seems like it could be really good advice for for listeners out there. (laughs) Maybe I I would say, you know, it can take time to, to make the analysis. But if you see where, you know, one satellite is always consistently lower in productivity than than the others, you know, the, the first question is, are they overstaffed, right? Are they not, you know, productive because there's just not enough patients in that geographic region to, oh, okay. to feed the clinic, right? And, you know, that's kind of unlikely because we're like so busy. There's too many patients, sure. right? There's not. Sure. So it's, it's unlikely that that's the issue, although that could be an issue, right? So that's kind of the question. So then the next thing to look at is just really like, okay, are the schedules set up, right? So if we have this sort of guideline that every provider should have it's like 75% or whatever of their time, you know, open for patient care, is that's what's happening in this clinic? Do they actually have 75% of their time open for patient care? And if they don't, well, that would A, explain it. Or if it's open, but open in weird ways, you know. Or one thing that we found is that there were holds being put on the schedule, but the holds were supposed to 
release automatically and they weren't releasing automatically. So those slots just never got filled because the holds were, you know, were permanent and were preventing the schedulers from scheduling into those time slots. So that, you know, that was an easy fix. We're like, oh, like fix this hold issue and then it becomes available for, for scheduling. The other thing that we developed and implemented was something that we called an open visit type. And so basically, instead of making it so that you have an ABR slot and only ABRs can go into that slot, is to say, okay, we're, we're calling that an ABR slot up until two weeks before the appointment day. And then if there's no ABR scheduled into that slot, you know, we're going to convert it to open, which means that that time could be used for an ABR still, but it could also be used for, you know, behavioral hearing testing or something else. And so adding that flexibility in really helped to prevent issues related to changing demand for certain visit types over time, right? So if your schedule is able to accommodate, you know, different kinds of visit types more flexibly, that means that as demand changes, so, you know, maybe some part of the year you're in high demand for ABRs, you know, your open slots can accommodate the ABRs, but then in another part of the year, say the demand shifts and you've got more requests for, you know, auditory processing evals or something like that, you know, your schedule being flexible, that helps to minimize those kinds of issues and productivity that could happen if your schedule templates are too rigid or don't allow for for that kind of flexibility. Yeah, and that sounds like that relies a lot on a really strong front office staff, (laughs) you know, and a good understanding of, I mean, they need to have the understanding of appointment types and you know, the schedule being flexible, that kind of takes everybody being more flexible, not just the provider and who they'll see, but also, you know, the front office staff. And I guess you guys establish like a wait list and you call at patients when there's, you know, uh, an ABR slot gets taken off two weeks before, let's fill it with these. Is that kind of the approach? I would say yes, except, you know, our scheduling system does a lot of that stuff automatically. So the scheduling system, you know, this took a long time. And this is one thing that we're always speaking to has what are called decision trees. So basically, the, the hospital's goal is to try and centralize the scheduling process as much as possible. So that this sort of like, you know, group of schedulers could schedule appointments for any department, right? Without having to know all like the specific ins and outs of the, you know, templates and things like that. So you you have to, you know, build these series of questions that the scheduler asks the patient. And depending on the patient's answer, you know, a different kind of question will pop up until you finally get the information you need to schedule them into the right visit type. So, you know, it works most of the time. And really what we found is, is anytime patients were scheduled incorrectly, it was usually because the scheduler didn't follow the script in the, in the scheduling system. <laughs> gotcha. But yeah, you know, it, it's really, you know, seeing how the technology 
develops and and how we have to create you know rules that allow the technology to steer the patient into the right visit type you know it, it's opening up opportunities now for things like self-scheduling where the patient instead of calling the scheduler and being asked these questions you know logs into the patient portal answers those questions and then gets scheduled into the right appointment slot you know without even having to take up the scheduler's time that's critical and making sure that flow and everything gets filled in that's awesome okay so but hold on what about the people out there who don't have this fancy schmancy automatic scheduling system? What so and we're kind of coming on the end of our time here. So maybe just like some parting advice or, or wisdom for clinics out there who are looking at this metric. Maybe they're a small private practice and they just want to make sure they're using their time most efficiently. Like what lesson have you learned here that you feel like could be most generalized for listeners out there who might not be able to kind of like take advantage of efficiency in, in their systems as well, kind of like a take-home message with all of that. I think you need to start with the, you know, question that you're really trying to answer first. I think, you know, I'm lucky at Boston Children's to have all these different kinds of tools that take care of a lot of this, but I could also do it with an Excel spreadsheet. Like it, it's something that can be done at a very sort of rudimentary level as as well. But, you know, if you don't have a lot of, you know, analytical software at your disposal, then you're really going to need to start at what is the main question that you want to answer. And it could really simply be as simple as, you know, the number of patients each audiologist is seeing. If you have a small clinic and everybody's kind of doing the same amount of work, you know, that might be enough to answer your question. If you're wanting to, you know, figure out more about, you know, how much revenue each audiologist is, is bringing in, you know, then you might need to do something more nuanced, such as counting CPT codes and, you know, assigning your own weighting to those CPT codes, or counting visit types if your visit types are discrete enough to count you know that you could say you know if each visit type is worth a certain amount of time you know then you could say okay how much time is the audiologist spending you know across these visit types you know add up that time and divide it by however many hours they're putting on their timesheet and that's a that's a nice ratio to measure you know how much of their time is patient facing right so you can get gross estimates, you can get very, you know, defined measurements of productivity, but sometimes really the, the gross estimate is adequate to answer the question that you might have in mind. Gotcha. Yeah. So starting with a, a specific goal or question with that, I think that's a really helpful, a helpful point. And then your, did y'all have a name for your personalized CBT codes or RVUs that y'all made. We called it the Papa, <laughs> which was, oh, let me see if I can remember. It was something like the pediatric audiology productivity assessment or something like that. We okay. called it Papa. Is that something that's like publicly available for other centers to use or would you encourage them to kind of establish their own based on their own kind of visit types and things like that? 
So it is sort of available. Probably the easiest thing would be for somebody to, you know, email me and I could hook them up to that. We also have a publication in Hearing Journal. We published an article in Hearing Journal. Okay. And that is called Approaches to Measuring Productivity in Audiology Clinics. And it has a link to a tool that you can use to enter your, you know, CPT codes and calculate the productivity. It's a little clunky at best, but it can give you some information. But, you know, I think for the most part, just coming up with your own is probably just as as good. And if you're not worried about comparing yourself to other hospitals, but are just really worried about, you know, your internal productivity, that's just as good as anything. Probably better to come up with your own. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your parting words there. And I think this has been an extremely helpful conversation for me personally. And I'm sure a lot of people out there who are trying to assess this better, improve efficiency, especially now that, you know, COVID has certainly changed healthcare and all of the ways that it has. This is just another metric we can utilize to make sure we're on track or getting back on track. So I am so grateful for your time. I know that we'll both be at ASHA upcoming. This episode is probably going to come out after ASHA. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> but I'll make sure to, to put a little promo in there for the presentation that you're doing there. I look forward to seeing you there in person. And if people had other questions for you or wanted to run by their own papas, what would be the best way to get in contact with you? That would totally be fine. They can email me, you know, my email address is Derek, D-E-R-E-K dot styles, S-T-I-L-E-S at chboston.org. That would probably be the easiest way to get, get in touch with me. Awesome. Well, Dr. Derek Stiles, thank you again for joining me. It's been such a pleasure. Yeah, my pleasure too. This has been really fun. Thank you. And that's all for today. Thank you so much for listening, subscribing, and rating. This podcast is part of an audio course offered for continuing education through Speech Therapy PD. Check out the website if you'd like to learn more about the CEU opportunities available for this episode, as well as archived episodes. Just head to speechtherapypd.com slash ear. That's speechtherapypd.com slash E-A-R. E-A-R.